0: The following audio is from Gray City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Gray City Church is available at graycitysd.com.
1: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be des- devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. May I offer, May I offer prayer for um, Pastor Scott? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and this body of believers that are here worshiping in your name. I pray that as the pastor comes forward and shares the word that our hearts may be open to receive your word and any any gap between what we receive and what our brains tell us, Lord, fill it in, give us a path towards you. We love you, Lord. We understand and know the imperfections of this word, of this world, but we do know the perfection that is in your word. And we offer up all these prayers in your mighty son's name. Amen.
0: All right, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, and I'm the pastor of Grace City Church. And I'm thankful for this morning. You know, this past week, I got to go to a conference. um, For Grace City, it was five years ago uh, that me, my family, some others came together and planted, started the the, the process of planting Grace City Church. And so we were able to celebrate five years uh, this past month. So praise God, right? That's awesome. And... I'm excited because right now we're in this process of, of two churches becoming one. And so at this conference, it was like leaders and, and pastors from all over coming together. And the, the, the theme of the conference was uh, the great collaboration. And they were talking about John 17. And they were talking about Jesus' uh, church coming together for the kingdom. And that was the theme of the conference. And so... I actually went to one of the breakouts, and the breakout was written by a guy who uh, wrote the book on churches coming together like we're doing. His uh, name is Jim Tomberlin. And so I'm sitting in the breakout, talking with him, and listening to his, his uh, message about this. He said, I haven't seen this many people in this breakout ever. The, the, the room was just packed with people talking about what we're doing, the unity between two churches coming together for the glory of Christ. And so the, the amazing thing is, it, it's not just us, but God is doing something across this nation and even across the world. Because I was talking with my friend John, who is head of our greeting team here, and he said, you know what, my, I was talking with my father-in-law, who's in Korea, and he's watching what's happening here, and he's a pastor, and he's getting older in age, and he's so... He, started praying about it, and there's a younger pastor that now their churches are coming together, and he says, this doesn't happen in Korea. It doesn't happen. He says, so that is actually what's happening here is inspiring people around the world. There's something bigger that God's doing. And so we're talking about being together for the city, for the sake of the gospel. This is about the kingdom. The kingdom. God's kingdom. And what we've been talking about is the Sermon on the Mount, right, this past year. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus has been talking again and again about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. But many times what we can do is we can build our own little castles. My little castle, my way. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to break out of that and understand this is a lot bigger than us. This is about God's kingdom. And so we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at this text today from Matthew 6, uh, looking at verses 19 through 24. And this is an important text because today the message is this, the lasting treasure. The lasting treasure. Now, as we've been studying Jesus' most famous sermon, we've been looking at how this radical message gives us these marks or what we call indicators of what a, a a real Christian, authentic Christian looks like. But what we must remember is that without an understanding of the gospel, this sermon, the sermon on the mount can turn into a heavy burden that makes us think, "Well, I got to try harder. I can never be a part of the kingdom." I was talking to my friend Richard this morning. And Richard said, man, sometimes when I hear you preach, it sounds like I could never get in. I said, well, that's the first half. That, you know, the, the thing about the gospel is you got to know the bad news before you can know the good news. And here's the bad news. We can't do it. I can't do it on my strength. I can't do it. But you got to listen to the end, right? So here it is. It's, it's the good news that it's only in Jesus, and we were, we were laughing about that after he said, is it trusting in God? I said, yep, that's what it is. It's trusting in God, not in myself. And so as we're listening to this message today, I want us to get this. This is an invitation into seeing that Jesus is the only one that lived a perfect life and that as we place our trust in him, not in ourselves, that he changes us. God changes us from the people we currently are to people we could have never been on our strength. Amen? And so that's what we're talking about today. I I love this quote. I saw this this past week. I think it really was helpful for us as we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. It's by a guy, Joshua Ryan Butler. Here's what he says. Jesus doesn't lower the bar so we can all jump over it. He raises the bar so we all find ourselves underneath it. Sermon on the Mount, right? This paves the way for his grace rather than our performance, being the means of entrance into his kingdom. Too many Christians think being all about grace means denigrating the law or minimizing divine ethical standards. Jesus moves in the opposite direction. Being all about grace means finding yourself in the company of sinners before Jesus, the crucified King, who, though sinless, bore the weight and penalty of our punishment to restore, raise, and make us whole. Friends, all of us, if we stood before the Sermon on the Mount, we would say, I'm guilty. But by the grace of God, he says, I've already done it. And So our hope is that you see Jesus did it. And that as we as believers trust in him, that's what salvation looks like. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so starting in verse 21, Jesus uncovers uh, really the, the, the sin that just kind of lives still deep within us in our lives. And he addresses it, it's this the deepest motivation for life. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So what does Jesus mean by the word treasure? Well, it's the same word that we use. It's in the Greek. It's Thesaurus. That's what this word is thesaurus. And this is a storehouse, okay? And so Jesus says, You have a storehouse in your heart. And commentator D.A. Carson gives us this helpful diagnostic to, to discover what our treasure and what is in that storehouse and what's really deep down. He says this He says, We think about our treasures, we are drawn toward our treasures. We fret about our treasures. We measure other things and other people by our treasures. This is so painfully true that a person who honestly examines themselves can pretty well discover that their real treasures are simply by studying their deepest desires. Their deepest desires. Again, Jesus is talking here, telling us, hey, I'm not just talking about the outward stuff that's going on here. I'm talking about deep within. What's the deepest desires? What's the thing that we fantasize about, that we think about all the time? What are your deepest desires? Well, Jesus says that's where you'll find your treasure. And in in verse 24, he identifies money, or mammon is the Greek, which means this greedy pursuit for more. There's this greedy pursuit for more. And he says, this is the vehicle that fuels our greatest desires, So that's why it's been said before, show me your checkbook and I'll show you what you treasure. Take that app out on the Wells Fargo account and let me see and scroll through and we will see what the treasures are. See, the reality is that money is attached to and perpetuates many of the false gods or idols that we worship other than the one true God. Work, job, career, I'm just just a harder worker, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to get some money. I'm trying to, you know, like, and so I'll put other things aside, my family and everyone else, No friend, like, it's just focus on this career, 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 education, intellect. Well, I'm just investing more and more and more, and I've seen just people just, say, okay, family and everything else, God, all that stuff. It's just this beauty, attractiveness, more, more, more. Talent. I just want to be better than other people. So I will invest more and more and more. Popularity, success, sellout, possessions. If, if I can just just feel that security, if I just have this one thing or that one thing, then I'm just gonna feel secure. The more I have, the more secure I feel. But friends, here's the tragic result: one day your career will leave you. Your memory will fade, your beauty will dim, your talent will fail, your popularity will dwindle, your possessions will rot and decay. Jesus is telling us that today. And as one preacher said, those who build their lives on this will find their full stomachs turning into cosmic emptiness. Cosmic emptiness. Jesus is saying, don't put your treasure in things that will leave you but trust in what will last. Trust in what will last. So what is the lasting treasure? Well, our text today, again, is Matthew six nineteen through 24. And just to give the setting in the first half of Matthew 6, 1 through 18, which we looked at last week for the most part, Jesus describes the Christian's private life, giving, praying, fasting. In the second half, 19 through 34, he's concerned with our public, business, money, possessions, food, drink, clothing, and ambition. John Stott says God is interested in both areas of, your, of our life, private and public. Private and public. And so Jesus teaches us that deep down, our treasure reveals three areas of our lives. It reveals our number one, hearts. Two, vision. And three, ruler. Heart, vision, ruler. And so let's look at the first one, the heart. Look at verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be will be also. So let's break this down. First, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The next verse he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does he mean here? Well, whether we know it or not, we are all actively laying up treasures for ourselves in one of two places, earth or heaven. And so whether you are a believer or not today in Jesus, Jesus is saying that you are actively laying up treasures that are either temporary, which is the only option if you don't know Christ today, or eternal. There is an eternal treasure that you can lay up. And so much of our culture right now is built on the temporary. It's, it's all about now. What's new now? What's happening now? What's trending now? What can I have Now. And this is the test of our faith, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, do we actually believe that there's a heaven? That there's an eternal life? That there is life beyond this one? That's everlasting. Our actions will reveal what we really believe. You know, I was at... um, Again, this conference is past week, and uh, the, the church planting organization that we planted with Stadia got the hotel for, for us, and, and it was really nice, you know, and so go up into the hotel room and walk in, and it's a nice room, and I'm staying for, you know, three, four days, but I want you to imagine for a minute if I walked into the hotel room and I looked at the TV, I said, you know, that's a, that's a decent-sized TV. 40-something inches. But, you know, one of the things that I I realize is I really like to watch TV. So, I'm going to go down to Best Buy right now, and I'm going to go get a 70-inch. So, I go, you know, purchase a 70-inch, bring it into the hotel room, put it up on the, look at the bed. You know, the bed's kind of comfy, but, you know, I know that there's more comfy beds out there. And so, I'm going to go over to Mattress firm or somewhere like that and start to look around and see if there's a more comfortable mattress. And so I go, I buy this mattress instead and I bring it up and I haul it up into the elevator and I get it into my room and I push it in there. I said, that's better. And I just start improving, making improvements on my hotel room. And then you know what? I have to check out on Thursday. What Jesus is telling us is this. We do the same thing. Thing. And he's saying, Do you see how foolish this is? To invest in the things that are not going to last because they're going to rot, they're going to decay, they're going to be destroyed, or they might get stolen. Why would you invest in that? Jesus is saying, Would you instead invest in the eternal? Don't be deceived. The now won't last. Because look at the inverse. Do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, some of us have had to learn the the hard lessons. Maybe we've had something stolen from us before. Right? It's just, it's not a good feeling. I mean, anytime that my kids are missing something, they think somebody stole it. They're like, Dad, why'd you steal my, my stuffed animal? I didn't steal your stuffed animal. You know what I mean? It's just, but that, that's, that's where our minds go because we know what it's like to have something that's temporary. And Jesus is saying, don't put your hope in those things. Two ways to live, temporary versus eternal. And so he finishes in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, here's what he's saying. Your heart is so intertwined with what you treasure that they're inseparable. They're inseparable. And so Jesus says, you want to know what's really in your heart? Look at what you most deeply desire and, and, and how you can take a, a good thing, right? God gives us good gifts and we can turn it into a God thing. A God thing. And later, we'll see what the effect of that is. But Jesus is telling us that that's in our hearts. We're all capable of it. Commentator Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, What our Lord says here is devastatingly simple. If we would only think seriously about our possessions, we would realize they belong to a passing world which offers no security. In fact, Seeking security in this world and its possessions is a recipe for producing anxieties rather than relieving them. Let me ask you this today. Is your life filled with anxieties? Right? It, this, this culture, this, this time that we live in has, has been coined the, the generation of anxiety We are so anxious about everything, yet we have so much. See, that answer of more, 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 more is not going to fill us. And Jesus is saying our hearts are so wrapped up in it that in many ways we, 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 we won't even see it. That's the next point, the vision, right? Vision. Look at verses 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now Look at verse 22. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. Jesus is telling us here that it's important what, you, what, what, what your vision is. Right. What, 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 what is, what is that, that vision that you see? Because this is important of, of where the body's is going, where, where the direction of your life is going. Starting with the eye. You see, Jesus starts with the treasure, now moves to the eye. This is a switch from deep desires to what we would say our vision for life is. You see, we live in a world that is built off of having a personal vision for life. A five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan. And here's what it commonly looks like that vision, that thing that we see is all about me. You are told it's it's all about you. You're the star of the show, and this world revolves around you. But Jesus tells us the importance of having a healthy vision for life. He says that the eye is very important, and what you see as the vision for your life is very important. One of my family's favorite movies to watch during the holidays is, is called The Family Man. Um, it's a guy, Nicolas Cage. It came out in 2000. And what this movie is about is about this guy who thinks he has it all. He's, uh, he's on Wall Street. He's got it all. He, he's got the apartment. He's, he's living on his own. He can do whatever he wants. He's got the cars and, and, and his life and everything. And then he walks into this convenience, convenience store one night and his life changes radically where he meets a person that says, okay, you're going to see a glimpse of what your life could have been. And so he's thrust into this life where he's married, he's got kids, and they're running around and all the craziness of life is happening all around him. He said, this is a glimpse. And what happens was he hated it f- at first because it wasn't about him anymore. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta go change diaper, I gotta go take do what? Like, you know what I mean, like that type of thing. His vision for life had changed. The glimpse wasn't about him. But what he saw by the end of it was a fullness of life. A fullness of life that he couldn't have had on his own. That he couldn't have seen in just his old, me, me-centered vision. And so Jesus says, verse 22 if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, this word for healthy is, is haplus. Uh, its meaning is, is clear, single vision. The word translated healthy most probably means single, uh, singleness of purpose, undivided loyalty. The good eye is the one fixed on God, unwavering in its gaze, constant in its fixation. A healthy vision for life is one where your eyes are set on God. Why is that? It's because you start to take your eyes off of the world and you see that God is the treasure. God is the treasure. There are other things that I've been treasuring for so long, but there is is one eternal treasure, and it is God. He says it is an unwavering gaze, constant fixation on God. Verse 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the vision for light is not healthy, with an undivided loyalty and fixation on God, it won't be good. God gives us a clear, healthy vision for life. See, here's the thing. We think that we can fix ourselves. We think that we can fix our eyesight. We think we can do all those things. But the one God has to come in and say, no, I'm gonna remove this stuff out of your vision and I'm gonna point you to me so that you'll see there's a greater treasure than what you're looking at right now. See, some of us have gone through times where there have been things that have just radically been taken out of our lives. Say, why I wanted that thing so badly. But if you were to look back and say, you know what? It was probably a good thing that that was taken away. Because then I wouldn't know God the way that I do. I wouldn't see the world the way that I do. I wouldn't see life the way that I do right now if that thing wasn't taken away. But at the time, I was so angry and upset. You see, it's God that removes some of those things so that we can start to see life clearly. Your vision is important. Lastly, ruler. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the crux of this verse is the beginning, verse 24, in verse 24, here's what it says. No one can serve two masters. Two masters. You see, the point has been made time and time again. As people have looked at this verse, it's this. You can have two employers. You can't have two masters. Right? You can have a couple jobs, but you can't have two masters. That's what Jesus is saying here, right? Like, we can look at uh, uh, somebody who, who you're just like, okay, well, maybe it's just like an employer type of relationship. No, no, no. Like, what this is, biblically, is like a, a, a slave master to a slave. And so you will be ruled or you will be controlled by whatever that master is. This word that Jesus uses for, for the word master is the word uh, kurios, which means Lord. It's about control, it's about being ruled by another, and ultimately it's about worship. About worship. You know, I've been on mission trips and seen different people in in different countries and the different religions that they have, and and, and, you know, one of the things that we can do is we can go into different cultures and, and look and say, oh, well, look at all these things that they're worshiping. Look at all these false idols, these false gods. But you know what happens when Christians come to our country? They look around and they say the same thing. They say, look at all these idols. Look at all these things that the people here worship. But we are so blinded to it that we don't see it because we're ruled by it. See, we need a new ruler. In 2005, author David Foster Wallace, who's a non-Christian, gave an amazing insight during his commencement speech at Kenyon College. This is right before he took his own life. But here here, he he makes this point very clear. Here's what he says. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of of, of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you will worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already, worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid and you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on. Not a Christian, but understands this concept very well. See, we are ruled by what we worship. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, other rulers will beat you to the dust. But there's only one gracious, loving, forgiving ruler, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And so as we process all of this, and we look at this, um, let me give you some takeaways First one, where are you building, earth or heaven? See, all of us are building somewhere, right? We're all building somewhere. And so do we believe what Jesus says? Because like he said earlier, our lives will reflect that. In 2000, Pastor uh, John Piper gave a message in front of 40,000 college students. And he laid these two stories side by side. One story was about two 80-year-old women who were missionaries. And during their, their missionary journey, their Jeep went off a cliff and they died. The other story he took from a reader's digest and he, he said that it was about a couple who retired early, played golf, collected shells, the rest of their lives. And here's what he said. He says, with all my heart, I plead with you. Don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. I got a good swing. Look at my boat. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Friends, that's that's the the dream that all of us can buy into. But he says, what are you going to do for the sake of the gospel? Do you believe that it's true? Do you believe that we are storing up treasures in heaven and that that is about eternity because we're all building somewhere? Second is this, what is your vision for life? Is Is it your glory or God's glory? See, is is, is the vision that we have. Let's let's be honest with ourselves here because that's what the Sermon on the Mount really wants us to do. It wants us to examine ourselves, right? Before the Lord. Let's be honest. Do we envision ourselves hitting self-esteem home runs all the time to a cheering crowd where it's all about me? Those self-esteem home runs, yes. Another one, I did it. Or is it surrendering to the vision that God has for my life, which isn't going to look a lot like that? It's going to look different. C.S. Lewis said it well in Mere Christianity when he says this imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know that those jobs uh, needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He t- intends to come in and live in it himself. You ever felt like that? The vision just doesn't seem clear and you're just like, God, what are you doing? Again, it's not holding on to my vision any longer, but saying, God, clear the vision that's in my mind and in my heart that, that's blinding me, the treasures that are blinding me that I'm putting here on earth, and, and, and free me up to see the treasure that you're You're building the treasure that you are. Christ, you're the treasure of my life. Let me tell you something. We, We can, we can, well, let me read verse 23. It says, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, let me tell you something here. What's Jesus saying? He's saying this, we can lie to ourselves. We got the ability to lie to ourselves. Yeah, I'm doing it for God's glory. Yeah, it's the light, it's good stuff. But he says, how great is the darkness that's within you? When we can't see that that there's light and that God has to come in and show us the things that are inside of our hearts, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're we're on the right track. And so we gotta pray and say, God, help me to see what your vision is. I need your vision, I need your help, I need your guidance. You know, I was struggling with this in my life before we went on this church planting journey. And I remember getting to this verse in Proverbs 3, Here's what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Lean on my, not, not on my own understanding. Lean not on the things that I thought this is what it was supposed to look like. But trust in the Lord with all my heart. That's what Jesus is trying to get at here. In our hearts, do we trust him? In our hearts, do we see that He's the vision? And lastly, what are you ruled by? Your will or God's will? Here's the thing the uncertainty of this world can bring major anxiety or uncertainty in life. But God invites us to say, Would you trust my will? Will you trust my way? I know it doesn't look like you thought it was gonna look like, but will you trust me? Martin Luther said this. He says, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I've placed in God's hands that I still possess. Right? The world, all the things of the world, they're, they're fading, they're passing away. Will I put these things in the hands of God and will I trust him with it? Because he's trustworthy. See, why can I say that today? Why can I say that God is trustworthy? Well, we got to ask ourselves, okay, how does this happen? I, I want to trust him. So you may say, okay, I'm, I'm going to get more discipline. I'm, I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to get a kingdom vision for life. And I, I'm going to go do something radical for Jesus. I'm not going to be ruled by the thing, the, these other things any longer. I'm just going to try harder. I want to tell you right now, no, friend. No. That's not the answer. That's not the gospel. Here's what's going to change you. And here's what's going to change me. It's when we start to see that God treasured you so much that he sent his greatest treasure for you, Jesus. He sent his greatest treasure for you, Jesus. It's when you see that God treasures you and loves you so much that he'd give you his very life. It's it's to know that when God looks at you, he says, I adore you, I love you, I care for you, I'm with you, I treasure you. Now let me ask you for a minute, do you believe that? Because as we were sitting here Week and a half ago with some guys, and we're talking about this very idea that God could love you despite all the things that you've done. That's hard to take in. That's hard to believe. That's hard to soak in. But it's either the Bible is true or not. And so it is an invitation to believe that it's true. That God could love you despite you. And that God could love me despite me. And that He loved me so much that He sent His one and only Son for me. The treasure of heaven came down for me because He treasured me. And He loves me like that. There's this amazing verse in, in Psalm 17, verse 8. It says this David is, is praying. And you think about David in his life, right? Commits adultery, murders someone. David says this Psalm 17:8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Keep me as the apple of your eye. How can you and I know that God treasures us like that? Like David felt. See, because you have something better than David had. You have the knowledge that Jesus came and actually did this. And, and, and what it says in scripture, when Jesus was baptized, it said this. It says that a dove descended, and the father from heaven says this, this is my son whom I, who I am well pleased. This is my son who I am well pleased. And do you know what it means to be a Christian? It says that you are bound to Jesus. You are bound to Jesus. His heart is wrapped up in your heart. He died for your sins. He died for my sins, and he says, "Now you are my greatest treasure. That's what the gospel is. And so when we start to see this, here's what it is. It starts to sink in. And I'm telling you,, it has the power to change your heart. It has the power to change your vision. And I'm telling you, he is a gracious ruler. He's a good ruler, right? The one, the one that we thought, oh, God's just holding out on me. Nope, that's not him. He's a good father that cares for his children. And so will we believe the gospel? Will we believe that? Will we believe that Jesus Christ is the lasting treasure? But we personally receive that and say, Jesus, you're my lasting treasure. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what I face, no matter what difficulties come, I'll hold tightly onto you. Because it's Jesus, (laughs) you're enough. You're enough. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's holding on tightly to Jesus saying, you're enough. And you love me like that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel this morning. We thank you, God, that as we look at our lives and and really examine, we start to look at the ways that we we can worship things other than you. We can take things into our lives that are not true, beliefs that are not true, but we see the results, Lord. It, It won't last. The only thing that lasts is you, and so we just, today, as a church body, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, yet their life is falling apart, that they can come to you today. They can come to you right now. They can receive you right now. They can receive your grace right in this moment. Lord, I pray if we've believed it yet really struggled with believing it, I pray like the man who came to you and said, help me with my unbelief. Lord, I wanna believe, but help me with my unbelief that we pray that to you today. And Lord, we see that you are a greater treasure than any material possession or any career or any, anything that can come in the way of you, God, any little idol. I just pray that you, you knock those things out of, out of our vision so that we can see Christ is enough. We pray this in his name today. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful,
0: feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at GrayCitySd.com. Gray City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.